And from like, you know, if God's sovereign, how does he allow this to happen? How does he allow that to happen? And those are very deep conversations. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially, you know, the the answer, you know, then you ask, okay, well, what's the answer? What fixes that? And any answer that you can come up with that is worldly will ultimately, you know, prove vain. Money doesn't fix it. Um, you know, great government doesn't fix it. Uh, uh, fantastic world leaders don't fix it. Um, because at the end of the day, that brokenness is stemming from each individual human being, right? It's a, it's a human problem, um, and there's got to be an answer to it. Uh, and the only answer I've found for myself uh, when I look at the broken things in my life and in my, in my heart and in my flesh, uh, there is only one answer, and that's Jesus. This is the Defiant Dad Podcast, show number 15, coming to you today from the great state of Texas. My name is Andrew Sullivan. Thank you so much for making this show part of your day. Defiant is defined in the dictionary as showing a disposition to challenge, resist, or fight. This podcast equips fathers to fight for themselves and for their families using the truth of the gospel. Uh, You know, one day when your kids are older, they will, no question about it, they will have a moment when they consider the type of father that you were. Uh, The actions you take, the words you use, the attitude that you communicate to your kids with on a daily basis over time, it'll be the legacy, really, that you leave with them. And on that note, I want to challenge you to be remembered by the way that you led your kids towards Christ, towards the truth of the gospel. Uh, While your money is certainly nice, uh, your skills and your talents can certainly be used to bless your family. Those are great things. Uh, What will ultimately make the greatest impact, hear me, What ultimately will make the greatest impact on their future is whether or not you are faithful in pointing your kids towards God and towards His goodness. I want to encourage you to enable your kids to taste and see that the Lord is good. All else, everything else, is going to leave them empty in the end. Justin Stevens, he is my guest today, and the conversation we have is packed full of talk about the concept of legacy. And uh, he's a really great person to discuss it with. He's a longtime friend of mine. He's a longtime nursing home director. He's also the son of a father who faithfully pointed him to God from a young age. And uh, he's a faithful father and husband in his own right as well. Uh, I can personally attest to the great things that the Lord is doing and has already done in his life. And I know you're going to want to hang on every word that uh, takes place in this conversation today. It's going to build you up. It's a good one. Uh, So without any more delay... Let's jump in. Nice, man. Well, dude, thank you so much for making the time to uh, come on the podcast here tonight. I know that. Of course. Uh, I know it's hard to. It's hard to peel away. You know, it's the middle of the week. You're, you work long hours. Um, you've got a little one at home, another one on the way. So, you know, the fact that you're giving up some of your hard, hard-earned free time to uh, to come here and hang out with me, man. Well, thank you so much. Justin. Well, glad you're here, bro. Yeah, uh, fortunately, I'm married to a woman who knows just how defiant I am. So she said, <laughs> "You're you're you're the perfect guest for this. So you need to go ahead and do it." And I said, "All right, sounds good." Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, you're definitely a natural fit for the show. You've been real encouraging me, <laughs> or encouraging to me, you know, ever since I started this thing. So I think it's only natural that you're here, brother. Um, let's 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 start off the show first off uh, for everybody who doesn't know you, Mr. Justin Stevens. Let's let's run it back a little bit and tell folks. Uh, what growing up was like, tell everybody, you know, um, how you came to know the Lord and let's go from there. Yeah, man. Um, 
Well, I uh, grew up in the thriving metropolis of Madison, Nebraska. Um, yes. Population right now is about 2,500. Um, right now. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Back then it was probably, you know, around 1,500 or so. But, um, yeah, on. so I grew up in Nebraska. Um, I grew up a big Husker fan uh, to a parent, my mom, that went to TCU. So that comes later in my story. But, um yeah, so uh, we were, um, you know, growing up, grew up in a Christian family, um, you know, uh, uh, mom and dad believers, grandparents believers. We were attending uh, Trinity United Methodist Church here in town, um, and uh, it was really great growing up. I mean, you know, just small town church. Of course, that was, uh, you know, we can have a long discussion at some point about the Methodist Church and everything going on with that right now, but yeah. before all that stuff came up. Okay. Um <laughs> And uh, so, uh, you know, just, just kind of grew up there as a kid. Uh, I, you know, my dad um, really just, you know, set a great example for hard work. Grew up in a, on a farm, um, so really learned the value of that at an early age. Um, but as we started to get older, um, you know, and like that, not, you know, eight, nine, ten, um, uh, or sorry, earlier than that, like six, seven, eight years old, Notice that the church we're going to really didn't have much involved for like a kids ministry or anything like that, aside from, you know, like a normal Sunday school. Uh, so there was a, I don't know if you're familiar with the Awana Club or ever heard of vaguely, that, but vaguely. I yeah, started going yeah. to church in seventh grade and I'd had friends whose younger siblings did Awana and it was, seemed to be something like the Boy Scouts, but it was not the Boy Scouts. I really don't know anything about it. But. It was like, it was like, it was like Cub Scouts for Jesus. Uh, okay. I guess that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, you know, so there's a local Baptist church that had the, uh, hosted the local Awana club and it was a lot of fun. Like met a, you know, a lot of my friends uh, that I grew up with were involved in that and we had these sweet vests that you could earn patches for and all that fun stuff. So I was like the first one to get my Bible verse memorization and memorizing all the books of the Bible and all those sweet patches. Um, Did you have like a song so it was like, to help you memorize. Uh, oh yeah, uh, the, just every, it's the same the generic song that everyone's heard. So I won't okay, recant I won't that for everybody. It. But yeah. thank you. Uh, you're the singer on this show. It's not me. So uh, but yeah, man. So that I really feel like um, I really feel like aside from. You know, uh, getting to uh, say nightly prayers with my dad before we went to bed, and you know, at Christmas time and Easter, we'd always sit down and read. Um, you know, where those traditions as Christians came from. Um, I think outside of my family, the Iwana Club was the first time I really heard the gospel, and it really started to sink in in my life. Um, so, uh, you know, I uh, at the tender age of seven, uh, back in 1992, is where I really started to experience a deeper understanding of the weight of my sin. I've, I've told this story to a lot of people, and they're like, okay, Justin, be real. How how weighty can sin really feel to a seven-year-old? Um, and I think that was probably the first time in my life where I really started to le- learn, uh, maybe before I knew how to phrase it, but my sort of uh, reformed Calvinist kind of theology, just because, man, it's very true. Like, you know, maybe I would fib to my parents every once in a while, but, you know, to the world, that's, you know, oh, that's nothing. That's just a little white lie, right? Um, but yeah, man, just really started to feel um, the weight of that on in my chest and just, um, you know, I don't, I think when you think back that, this is 30 years ago now, it's hard to remember um, very vividly a bunch of things in life, but I just so vividly remember one night, um, Dad came into my room to pray, just like you'd always do with me, and I had tears in my eyes, and uh, just really felt like, you know, I wanted to accept Jesus in my heart, so Dad, you know, kind of walked through Romans with me, and uh, we prayed, and, uh, you know, that was the really the, the point of my life where 
um, I've surrendered, I'd say, to God's calling of my heart to him. Um, and then from there, everything's been perfect. Nothing's ever gone wrong. I've never screwed up, and it's been great. <laughs> Yeah, you've been a uh, no, yeah, man. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, really the next big moment in my life happened, um, I think it was around 12. Um, and specifically, remember, uh, my parents telling me around Christmas time, uh, we were on Christmas break from school, that uh, they weren't getting along anymore and uh, that they decided it was best that they get divorced. Um, and sometimes divorce for kids means mom's moving to the neighborhood down the street or, you know, dad's going to go to the town next door. Well, for us, that meant we were moving to Keller, Texas. Um, so, um, obviously, that's a big move. Um, so, uh, that, that uh, yeah, it was a really long way. So, after Christmas, uh, it's a very somber Christmas. Um, you know, I remember being very confused and not really understanding, it, uh, you know, why. Um, my mom, my brother, and I moved to Texas. Um, and I really think, you know, thinking back on it, I, I don't know that I really understood the weight of it at that time, but my dad actually drove the U-Haul. Um, truck down to Texas, um, which I just, you know, couldn't even fathom uh, as I've grown older and really thought, processed all that. But, um, and so that happened, uh, super difficult. Um, I don't think I was ever a shy kid, but those first couple years, you know, going from the, the small time farm kid to, um, you know, Keller, big, you know, suburban area in Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, but man, I really feel like um, seeing that uh, it really just, just showed me, um, you know, Genesis, uh, 50, 20, right. Um, where, where it really just talks about like, uh, what, what the enemy intended for evil, God intended for good. Um, mm-hmm. and in the time, you know, since then I've really getting that hindsight's always twenty twenty, and just seeing how God has used that in, intangibly very difficult moment. Um, in my life to, um, to, to where he's got me today. Um, so, you know, we got plugged into First Baptist Keller, um, big time youth group, obviously in the Bible Belt, youth group's a huge thing um, <laughs> yeah. going on. And, you know, I, I think that uh, that was just really that first moment um, where, uh, you know, I kind of felt like, hey, I had a, a really good opportunity to start learning a lot more. Um, so yeah, I mean, I got involved at the church. I played, uh, that's where I learned to play bass guitar for the first time. Cause they needed a bass guitar for the middle school worship band. Um, yes, I love it. so, uh, started doing that, um, and, uh, did all kinds of different stuff. Um, you know, got a chance to go to a lot of student life camps and, um, seeing guys like Vody Bauckham, uh, teach at those. Um, and yeah, so really, great. oh, he's incredible. Um, love listening to him talk. Uh, but yeah, that's, so that's. Through you know going to First Baptist Keller is really really I, f- I saw my faith flourish. Um, you know my uh, our youth pastor at the time, JD Tomlin, he's doing real estate over in the uh, east side of town in, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. But just fantastic guy. Um, you know a lot of great connections there. That uh, it's been fun to see their families grow and everything. But um, yeah, man. So uh, through that, obviously the biggest challenge to that was uh, my dad being um, you know a little over under 700 miles away and so we saw each other a couple times a year and uh, spent a lot of time on the phone but um you know of course for a kid yeah yeah you know it's it was uh spring break summers christmas time and thanksgiving kind of trade off but um it was only a few times a year this was really challenging um Mm. but uh 
I, one of the you know great memories I have is uh, when my brother and I, um, in uh, we were I think let's see I think he was in middle school I was in high school but um, we both decided to um, actually it would he would have been intermediate school I was in middle school um, we both decided to get baptized um, hmm. had, just had never done it you know, to that point and really felt like uh, we wanted to be obedient to you know that that uh, uh, just profession of faith and uh, dad um, prayed for. Uh, a relatively low police presence on 81 and 35 and drove uh, all the way down just basically day of um, to come see us get baptized. So uh, I got a lot of my story that just my dad's been a a rock for me. Uh, Of course, my mom has as well. So just bless those parents. Um, Yeah, man. So that's kind of grown up. Uh, Then came to TCU um, in uh, 2004. And I've heard a couple of your other guests and you've kind of talked about, hey, I'm going to a Christian university. That sounds fun. And obviously, we discovered that uh, that, that really wasn't what uh, we thought it was. We weren't very um, good at doing research back then at seventeen. No, we? for sure not. For sure not. <laughs> and you know, when I moved, of course, to Texas, I was a big Husker fan. And uh, yeah. my mom said, "Well, this is perfect. You can go to TCU." And and uh, and I said, "Mom, there's no way I'm going to a school that's purple and the mascot's a horn frog." And of course, anybody <laughs> that knows me now knows that I eat those words regularly because uh, that's about half my closet is purple stuff. Yeah, uh, but yeah, man, um, <laughs> TCU is really unique. Uh, just starting that next section of my faith, where it was the first time in my life that I really got exposed to um, a lot of different thoughts and beliefs and religious traditions. Um, and you know, sitting in getting a religion minor and sitting with some professors that uh, truly made me take a step back and examine what I believed and, and why I believed it. Um, and I don't know that it was their intention to help me grow deeper in my faith, but that's what God used that season in my life for, really. Um, and then, uh, yeah, man, so uh, there's just been a long road to get where I am now. And it's uh, my, uh, let's see, 11th year in long-term care administration. Um, you know, I never thought that um, this industry would be something that I would end up doing. Kind of grew up around it with my mom, but um, through... A lot of uh, my own indecision about careers, um, some deep sin struggles that that I've wrestled with throughout my life, and then just a lot of meaningful connections kind of God drew that passion out in me. And um, yeah, now I get the privilege of um, taking care of my beautiful um, old folks in their golden years. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's where we're at. And uh, so anyways, uh, wife and I moved back up to Nebraska. My sweet Texan wife moved with me to Mm -hmm. Nebraska in the middle of December of 2021. Um, so shout out to her for not um, deciding to leave me right then and there. Um, <laughs> she's definitely a saint. And, uh, oh, there's there's no question. She's she's absolutely an angel. Um, but yeah, it's been great. It's a great place to raise a family. Um, of course, miss my Fort Worth friends, but uh, God's been so good to us. Of um, you know, just being around, getting to spend time with my dad. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. again, has been incredible. My brother as well. Um, and then um, we've really gotten plugged into just an incredible gospel centered church. Um, which honestly, when we left at the time, I didn't know that that existed in this area. So uh, yeah, the timing was perfect. And me. yeah, um, me in the past, you were concerned, you know, that you may not be able we to were. find a place. Yeah. And we, we kind of thought that maybe, uh, well, this is great. And then once our kids get into, you know, schoolish age, maybe we'll consider coming back to Texas and, um, plugging back into Christ Chapel or somewhere else. But, um, man, uh, life point up here in Norfolk has just been incredible. Um, our pastor Chris is, uh, incredible teacher and just, uh, it's a very faithful, um, 
family really reminds me a lot of, um, you know, churches uh, that I, I had a chance to be a part of down in Fort Worth, um, the Christ Chapel and City Church and Trinity, just, um, you know, it's rooted in faith, um, preaching the gospel daily. Uh, life is lived out in your small groups, in your communities, um, and uh, God's just been really great to, um, it's just another one of those pictures that, you know, here's a door that's opened and God said, you know, there's a purpose in, in everything. So, um it's been uh, it's been fun, man. Yeah, I love that. So that's where we're at right now. <laughs> that's good, man. A question, couple questions uh, come to mind as I think of your story, and you know I've known you for so long. I've, I think we met. What was it? Probably two thousand four, two thousand five ish, and so. Yeah, what, about, I guess it would about, have been your freshman year, two thousand five. Yeah, two thousand five. Yeah, so you know I've no. known you almost twenty years now, which is just crazy to think about. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't even think I'm old enough to have friends that I've known for twenty years, <laughs> but much less like that I've been adult friends with for twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> legally adult. That's for was, sure. You know, we were babies at seventeen, eighteen years old. But um, when you think back, two questions when I think your story. When you think back, uh, you know, and this is obviously still going on because you live there by your dad. Uh, you know, and shout out to Mr. Kenny, man, a great dude. Um, whenever I think he's a bit, he's a big Andrew Sullivan fan. <laughs> he is. He's so sweet, man. Like he, I love, I love hearing from him. every now and then he sends me a text message. He's listening to some of my music or something. And That's it just, awesome. it just light, it just lights up my day. Honestly, I love no. it. It really means so much. Um, you know, one of the highlights of, of my college years, truly, I, I'm not just being nice. It was the the time that uh, your dad and my dad and you and I got to go play golf together at the Bucks Golf Canyon tournament. West, dude. Yep. I every time I great. drive by Canyon West, I think of you and your dad and my dad just cutting up all day long. Like we had such a great day. Uh, it was. Well, when Dad and I are the perfect. Uh, Dad and I are the perfect golf partners too, because he had his actual old three wood um, that would go <laughs> about 175, but straight down the fairway. Which That's just perfect, let me yeah. b- bomb mine like, you know, two fifty straight and about one seventy five right. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it's perfect. It's a great partnership. Yeah. Oh, it's good. You know, because all you need is one guy in the fairway, and the other three can just let it rip and pray. You know, mm-hmm. pray for a good result. That's the way rip you do a scramble. Um, when you think back about your dad and and the legacy so far that he's left with you, um, what do you what do you think? If you could sum it down into like a word or two or a phrase. What do you what do you think is the biggest lesson maybe that he's taught you as far as you know that that's affected the way that you're a dad? Yeah, prayerful. Um, hmm. Man, if I had to say anything, uh, I think dads. It's just been so fun to uh, get to reconnect and talk, and um, he's got a really incredible story. Just um, talking through his faith and some church hurt that. Uh, you know, he's still been kind of working through from the past, but, um, he, he has such a, um, commitment to being in the word every day. Um, and, you know, I just think back to when we were kids, I mean, honestly, the prayers that I say with, with my son right now are pretty much the, and I just remember the words that he used to say when we prayed, um, every night before we went to bed. Can you, and so, can you share those? Yeah. Um, you know, just thanking God for the day, thanking Him for giving us life and breath, and um, you know, praying that uh, we would have a good night's sleep tonight, wonderful day tomorrow, and keep us safe and secure in His love. Um, that specific phrase has always stuck with me my whole life. Um, and you know, it's it's such a simple prayer, but um, I mean, it also speaks to the reverence we have of serving a sovereign God, who the reason we have life and breath. 
Um, and the reason we can lay our heads down with security at night is because, um, you know, he is, he is sovereign. He is in control. And thank God for that. You know, thank God that I'm not in control. Um, and so, yeah, man, it's just been really sweet and just, just getting, I mean, dude, I've, my whole life, um, I've just felt like God has placed this really intense desire in my heart to be a husband and father. And, um, I mean, he could not have blessed me with a more incredible woman who challenges me spiritually. I mean, you know, if I truthfully feel like every time we talk about um, Scripture, the Bible, anything, I learn something from her. Um, and her faith is just tremendous through a lot of her own story. Um, but, dude, I mean, there's just, like, getting a hold of my son, and, you know, we've got number two on due in, like, four weeks um, oh, but, uh, but just getting to hold him in those tender moments, just, just praying that God would, um, you know, reach into his heart and, 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 you know, plant that seed, uh, that he would seek him. And, um, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's cool, man. Yeah. Um, I, it's I'll something that honestly, you just don't, you, you can't fathom, uh, until you have a chance to be a parent. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right about that. You know, I, I was a little bit different, you know, in my college years than I think a lot of the guys who were in who we were in Bucks with, you know, uh, you're in that group as well. Like I, I always saw myself one day being a dad, but I never was the type to say, "Man, I really can't wait to be a dad." You know, um, I don't know, I don't really know why that was, you know. But then, like, like I, I was now you, I would have never been the type of person like when I was 20 years old or 21 years old, 22 years old, even 25 or something like that to say like, one of these days I'm going to have a podcast. We're going to talk about, you know, biblical fatherhood. (laughs) Like that wouldn't, that was not even me. Like it's only a work of the Holy spirit in my life. That's really, uh, awakened my heart to, to how, how rich of an experience this is, you know, how fulfilling of an experience this is to be a dad. Um, real quick though, I want to back, I want to backpedal just a little bit with you. Uh, could you define what the gospel is? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the gospel is the uh, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ and salvation to those who believe. Okay. Um, if I'm not a Christian, how would you how would you say this? I'll never ask you. I mean, I know that you're a Christian. I don't mean to put you on the yeah, spot, sure. but I'm just curious to say, like, I'm curious to see how you would define it. Like, you know, I, I don't want to say like an elevator pitch, but if you could have you know 30 seconds or 60 seconds to say something to a person who's not a believer or someone who thinks yeah, that they're sure. a believer or maybe grew up around the church, you know, like maybe an American cultural believer, you know, how yeah. would you define the gospel? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I think the times I've had this conversation with folks before, even close friends that aren't believers, um, you know, I usually start with the question like, uh, in general, when you look at the world around you, do you see hurt and brokenness and, uh, chaos and destruction and and just wrong i think any of us uh very easily can say yes to that um absolutely and you know and that, that's where you know a lot of hard questions come from like you know if god's sovereign how does he allow this to happen how does he let that happen and those are very deep conversations um mm-hmm. but essentially you know the the answer you know then you ask okay well what's the answer what fixes that and any answer that you can come up with that is worldly will ultimately, you know, prove vain. Money doesn't fix it. Um, you know, great government doesn't fix it. Uh, uh, fantastic world leaders don't fix it. 
um, because at the end of the day, that brokenness is stemming from each individual human being, right? It's a, it's a human problem, um, and there's got to be an answer to it. Uh, and the only answer I've found for myself uh, when I look at the broken things in my life and in my, in my heart and in my flesh, uh, there is only one answer, and that's Jesus. Um, mm. It's that transformative power, and um, you know, it's it's the the work in this in the um, life, death, and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Um, so yeah, that's. I mean, I, I think that I think that it's very easy to have that conversation and uh, to to get an agreement that something's wrong, right? Um, mm. Nobody can disagree with that. Something's wrong in this world. Uh, yeah. So then you just get to have that great conversation about what is it and why is it, and then what's the answer? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I heard once uh, a person speaking about apologetics, and he said, you know, a, a good way to go along those lines is you start having more deep conversations with folks who, who you know, may not be Christians, but they want to talk about spiritual matters. It's just to con- continually mm-hmm. ask the question of why, you know, yeah. why do you think the world is broken and why this and why that, you know, because um, a lot of people... That's what we call... That's what we call in the industry a root cause analysis, and you're asking your five whys. So I'm teaching a little bit of nursing home administration there. <laughs> uh, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to ask you a question now that I that I asked Cody Cotton, um, and obviously I know you know and love Cody. Um, yeah. Um, I, I had him on the podcast probably, uh, you know, ten episodes or so ago. He, uh, he wrote yep. a prayer journal. I'm not sure if you're aware. It's fantastic. Um, he was so kind to bring a copy for me. Um, you can actually download it off uh, off Amazon, which is really cool. Yeah. But one question I asked Cody, um, is something I need to ask more of my guests, is what has the gospel saved you from? I mean, obviously, yes, you know, after your death, you know, separation from God. Like, But, but like, who were you or who do you think you would have become had you had the Lord not called you to him? You know, had the Lord yeah. not rescued you um, and... and if the Holy Spirit had not awoken inside you, you know, because um, because right. your salvation, you know, it didn't come. Obviously, I know you would agree this did not come by any work of your own hands. You know, it, it did not come by anything you've done. You were not worthy, um, right. you know. So how how has yeah, the gospel changed your life? Um, so the the question: Who would you be had had um, you know, God not if brought not me to himself. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I would be uh, culturally Christian um, with way more uh, hidden inward sin struggles. Um, hmm. You know, and, and that's the one thing that is the beauty of the gospel gives you the freedom to um, to open up about um, and be open and have accountability and, and, and have good relationships with other men and your wife and other people to, to open up and talk about those sin struggles. Um, you know, I, I think just by the nature of how I was raised, pretty confident I'd still look. You know, I would have the outward appearance of being good. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's it's like Scripture calls it to be a whitewashed tomb, right? Um, I'd be uh, I'd be uh, doing all the good that I feel like I'm supposed to do, but inwardly I'd be dead and broken. Um, and you know, and, and the, the the beauty of it is that like, do does my salvation mean I don't still struggle with sin? Of course, we all know that answer is no. Um, and there's still things that um, you know that I wrestle with, and uh, I, I just think the beauty of it is being knowing that I'm not a slave to those things. Um, Mm, that if I do have a sin struggle, it's not just, 
well, I guess I'm just going to deal with this the rest of my life, and that's how it's going to be. It's like, no, like you have the the power of the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, like that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and gives us the the conviction um, to step out of um, step out of those sin struggles and bring them to the light, and um, you know, and kill your sin. I love, uh, you know, I know we're, we'll talk about books later, but one of the um, the book that uh, Ryan McCarthy. By the way, you've had a lot of really good Ryans on your show. Um, <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. Very, you're, you're starting a string of J's as well. I've got ah, <laughs> sweet J names coming up. So, yes. Love it. Well, um, you know, Ryan talked about um, John Owen's book, Mortification of Sin. Um, and mm-hmm. I just think that, uh, um, you know, that book and another one I'll we'll touch on, I just really feel like when we have a full understanding and a, a, a grasp of, of what our sin means— and what Jesus did for us, and what God had done for us through sending His Son, um, I think it's very easy to be cavalier about that, especially for those of us who've been walking in our Christian faith for a long time. It's just so easy to start to go through those motions and have this churchy answer, um, which is something that I really struggle with because for for most things, I could probably you know pick out a scripture and talk through theologically why I believe this or that and, and why I feel like this is applicable. Um, but just cause you know, the answers doesn't mean, you know, you're, uh, everything's hunky dory and uh, perfect. And, um, Absolutely. I don't know. I, I've heard, I've heard, um, some teachers that I have strong disagreements with will say, um, talk about, you know, I was a sinner, but God saved me and I don't sin anymore. It's like, no, that's not true at all. Um, that yeah, is I'd actually doubt that claim. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, uh, anyways, yeah. So I would say, you know, I would, I would still look good. Um, but I would absolutely be a whitewashed tomb if it weren't for mm. God. Related question to that. That's a great answer, by the way. Um, related question to that. Then what, how would you define, what would be the difference in your mind then between a cultural Christian and someone um, who who knows the Lord, you know, in a, in yeah. a real way? Yeah. Um, I think what, going what, through the what motions. Are people, what do these people look like? Yeah, going through the motions. Yeah, sure. On. Yeah, I think I think if I were to d- to define cultural Christianity, it's just going through the motions. Um, uh, and, and when we talk about culture. Uh, culture changes, right? We, Lord knows we've seen quite a drastic change in our society and culture over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, even to a greater extent, the last five, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, we've seen some so-called Christians and churches start to uh, be defined by that culture. Um, and so if you're culturally Christian, you're just kind of, your your feet aren't, are, aren't on the rock, they're in sinking sand, Right. Um, that that you are you are constantly being swayed to and fro um, by the winds of of culture and wherever it's leading, um, but you know I, I think someone who is rooted in their faith and has um, ultimate trust that God is sovereign, what He said is true, is not afraid to stand up and um, speak out against uh, those those types of things that we see. Um, our society, I almost would say, kind of being countercultural, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jesus was certainly a, a countercultural uh, in his lifetime. I think there's there's a great example there. But you know, Paul and the and then the disciples and look through the Book of Acts and um, 
I think if we're living in a right relationship with God and we're um, that we are being bold with our faith, then uh, especially with where our society is today, you will look different. You will sound different. You will speak differently. Um, and, you know, ultimately that, that comes at a cost. Um, but I think that uh, that cost is worth it if, if eternity means um, eternity with the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say to a person who says, you know, Justin, you, should, you shouldn't judge. You know, Jesus wouldn't offend <laughs> anybody, you know. Uh, yep. Um, How would you respond? Wow. Uh, well, lovingly, uh, definitely would want to, uh, would want to, I ask you this um, question cause I know I can get you going talking by such things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't, it's so, that's, it's a really great discussion point because I think that that is, um, that is something that I feel like, uh, is a very common question when you start to talk about, um, you know, if we want to call them, you know, false gospels, false teachings. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think a lot of folks, uh, so, so just as a great example, right. Um, I've had several conversations with people who will, you know, throw out first Corinthians four, um, where it says, uh, you know, don't, don't pronounce judgment before the time of the Lord comes, who will bring to the light things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. So that, you know, mm-hmm. really they usually stop at like the first verse four, do not pronounce judgment before the time comes. Um, I've heard, uh, uh, um, Mike Winger and John Piper both teach on this, and what they said I think is really applicable is that verse is talking, if you look at the context, it's talking about not making a heart judgment, right? Like I'm not going to make a heart judgment on that person, but when the mouth speaks unbiblical things, destructive teachings, or when there's a, a social media or a blog post that spouts unbiblical and destructive teaching, um, I think that it's we're called to be discerning and to rebuke those things. Um, so... My answer to it would be, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I am always wanting to speak out of love, um, and 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 earnestly praying for people who uh, I feel like maybe are falling into um, a different um, gospel, uh, because that's dangerous. It's dangerous, and, and unfortunately, a lot of times it's popular, um, but it truly is just out of a heart of um, of wanting wanting. Um, to see the salvation of souls. Um, you know, we spoke about Vody Bachman earlier. He talks about this a little bit, and he says, I think he was on a college campus one time, and they said, you know, you're you're more concerned with making arguments about theology than you are winning souls, and you're more more concerned about arguing Bible verses than you are winning souls. And Vody says, no, it's because I cherish Scripture, and it's because I deeply care about souls is the reason I talk about this. Um, yeah. And so, honestly, like, if someone asked me, well, you shouldn't judge, why are you saying that? It's because I love you. Like, I care. Um, but I also hold high reverence for the um, the beautiful uh, work that the Bible is. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know. I think I think it's our duties as, as Christians to understand that and be able to speak um, life into those situations. But, you know, speak truth into them as well. Well, what I hear you say is that the Scriptures— or what I hear you saying the last part there is the scriptures are living and active, you know, yep. um, the, the Bible is not just a great work of literature as like some of the professors in the TCU religion department, for example, uh, may have taught, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, right. and, and, and many others, you know, they're not the only ones. I don't mean to bag on them specifically, but you know, that's just our, our shared experience. It's a real example. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, um, yeah, I, I think one thing I've always admired about you and, 
and I want I knew from the outset of this podcast I wanted to have you on. There's several friends in my life I wanted to have on uh, for different reasons. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, man, is like as long as I've known you, like uh, no, you've not been perfect. No, you've not always been a saint. You know, yes, you've done wrong yep. things. So have I. You know, uh, that's not the point. You know, I'm not saying you're a perfect person, but one thing I've admired about you is that. Uh, Many times I've seen you be completely willing to take a head-on approach towards false theology. Um, sure. T- towards falsehood. Um, you know, when I, when I think of men in my life who fight for what is right, who are willing to speak up for what is right and speak against what is wrong, I, I think of Justin Stevens. Um, and I just want you to know that. I'm so glad that you're here. I wanted to know. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, I want you to know how much I really admire you for that. Um, uh, you you have a way about you. You have guts, man. Like, I think, you know, it's, it's silly. Like, in my high school, I was voted most outspoken uh, for a number of reasons. You know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I was the editor of my school paper, and I'd write what I thought were hot sports opinions, you know, about all sorts of different things, you know, back in 2004. <laughs> Definitely wrote some things back then that would have gotten me, like, expelled from high school today. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I, I meet you and I'm like, dude, this guy's got some guts. Um, and so anyways, I, well, it's, it's, it's glad I'm glad to have you on, and, you know. Um, and honestly, I would say solely that it's not, um, I don't know, I think it's easy for people to, uh, in interactions I've had just, uh, I'm always trying to be careful that I don't want it to come across as arrogant and like I know the right, like I'm the right answer of course i have very sound and deep convictions um and honestly i don't think i'd talk about things if i didn't um but you know the second thing to that is it's 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 i think there's an easy out to not do it of hey i'm not in vocational ministry so i just need to sit in the pulpit learn under um, biblical teaching and uh, lead my family well um Mm -hmm. those things are all true um, and, and essential um, for being a defiant dad, right? But I also think that there is something um, – There's. Uh, did you ever see a re, uh, the movie or read the book uh, American Sniper about Chris Kyle? Yes. Yeah, I have. Okay. So there, there's a scene there. I won't recant it because there's some language, but um, it, it's there at the uh, dining table with uh, their family – um, and just talks about like Chris Kyle's little brother was getting picked on at school one day and his dad kind of launches into this little, um, uh, diatribe about the difference between sheep, wolves and, and sheep dogs. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, he says that, uh, we're not raising sheep in this family. And if you, uh, if you turn into a wolf, I'm going to whoop your behind. Um, he's like, you know, but, but so I, I don't know. I think us as men, um, who are, um, convicted about scripture and are leading our families. We're called to be sheepdogs for our own flock, which is, you know, those who are pastors, you know, that's, that's your role for, for your church. Um, those of us who are fathers, that's our role for our family um, to, to ensure that we, um, you know, to, that we lead our families in as much as keeping those falsehoods and false teachings away from, our, our children away from our spouse. Um, and you know, then, then you can take that to your inner circle, um, you know, talking about friends. And when I see a friend share something from, I don't know if you want me to name names here, but sharing no, something for yeah. someone who, you know, I, I know, you know, has, has proven to have, 
um, you know, taught things that are not biblical, like sending a message saying, hey, man, talk, let's talk about this. Um, yeah. Not in a judgmental, not in a harsh way, but just, um, you know, really uh, just out of a, a, an earnest, like, hey, I love you and I want I want to talk about this because I think it's important. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and I would say again, too, like I always struggle with talking out really about this stuff, knowing my own imperfection. Right. It's very easy for uh, for the sins that we have to you know, sort of Satan to use those to kind of keep us quiet because like, Oh, how dare you say that? Because you're not perfect and you struggle with this, that, and the other. Um, and yeah, it's true. I do. You know, I, I, those, those are things that I struggle with, but that doesn't take away. That doesn't negate the fact that uh, these things are important for us to talk about and important for us to do as men. Um, and, uh, you know, the second piece of that is though we're not perfect like we're we're also we also have freedom um from the chains of those sin in christ um so yeah yeah and i think that's where the idea of grace comes in a little bit you know and like Mm -hmm. you know we're i think that's the spirit right that i see of the little s spirit not holy spirit like the little s spirit like the that's the the vibe of like the whole do not judge right because like let he without sin cast the first stone you know like it's important to call out sin when we see it. It's important to call out false theology when we see it um, yeah. for the benefit of the kingdom of God, for the correct guidance of lost souls, you know. Right. Um, all the while admitting that, hey, we don't have it figured out either, you know, but we know the one who does. Uh, we know yep. the source of truth, which is the scripture, uh, um, which right. is the Bible. Um, and and, one thing and to that said, point... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say to that point, like you can't even begin to um, to call those things out or even to discern those things if you don't know Scripture, right? So that's that's like step A is you have to know the Word and understand the Word and you know read it exegetically to be able to understand um, and be able to start to discern those things and to test things against Scripture. Yeah, yeah, it sounds so elementary, and honestly, it's one of the things that. I, my in my spiritual life, like it ebbs and flows. I have these seasons where I'm opening the Bible and diving deep, like daily, you know, if not yeah. multiple times a day. And then I have these seasons where I'll I'll go to extended period, oh, like months or anything, but like many weeks even, like without regular Bible reading. Um, yeah. And I and I I confess that you know, like I would, something that I want to change in my life. Um, and I don't know why my life ebbs and flows in that way, but you're so right. Like you you can't be uh, like you said, it can't be a defiant dad. You know, you can't stand up for falsehood. You can't stand against falsehoods if you're not armed with what the truth is. Um, well, and I, I really can I can tell you exactly why you do that because I do that too, as does probably most other people who are you know broken, sinful humans that are imperfect and fa- and, and fallible, um, yeah. and uh, just. You know, I, I think that's again that's the beauty of grace, right? Is um, we can recognize those those seasons of ourselves. I mean, I've been in one myself uh, as well. Like you know, you asked me again. We'll talk about you know some book stuff, but you you know, yes, that question. I was like, dude, it has been way too long since I've like dove into a really good theology driven book. Uh, and then I said, man, I haven't even read my Bible once this week. You know, like it, it's <laughs> it's very easy to let that slip. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm thankful for the easy button of my ESV Bible on my iPhone um, yeah. uh, to help solve that a little bit. But, yeah, I, I can certainly relate to that. 
Yeah. One thing you said earlier that I really uh, appreciated that I hadn't, I hadn't considered, you know, is, I mean, I guess I'd considered it, but one thing that I appreciate you bringing out was the, the idea that the idea of standing up for the truth of the gospel uh, and for a right theology and a right view of God, um, that doesn't just fall on the shoulders of pastors. No. Um, no. You know, I, I think if, if you are, if you are, first of all, like you say, if you are in communion with God, you know, if you have uh, a relationship with the Lord, if you are regularly reading the scriptures, it's going to be an outpouring of your life. You know, like, as you read the scriptures regularly, correct me if you, I mean, feel free to disagree with me here, you know, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, but like, as you spend time in the scriptures, in my life, as I spend more and more time in the scriptures, I can't help but notice falsehoods that I come across on like a minute by minute, hour by hour basis, both internally and externally, you know, yeah. like the, like the, the verse that says, you know, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Like I don't realize how dark my path is, how dark my world is until I've had the light <laughs> poured yeah. into me, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, that's so true. And, and, you know, um, that's also one of the, um, uh, one of the issues of not being plugged into a church and not sitting under sound teaching regularly um, is is having that the word taught over you week in and week out, um, you know. And and I think that there's just there's there's just so much value in that. And and unfortunately, there's a lot of places in our country, obviously around the world, but specifically we're talking about American Christianity right now, like that you. Some people are really forced to a decision of, hey, I can't find a, a solid, you know, gospel-centered church around me. I either need to drive an hour to church every Sunday or move. Um, and that's a, that's a challenging, you know, thing to come up against. But you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, one of the the scriptures that just well, I remember the first time I read it and really it was you know several years ago when I really started to feel like um, this this weight of you know, being feeling free to speak out against things that are false was Second um, Timothy four, and I want just kind of take a second and like close your eyes and picture like th- what the world sees as typical American church, right? Okay, all right. Big light shows, laser shows. There's smoke machines. Uh, you know, pastors wearing skinny jeans and uh, uh, on preachers with sneakers. Uh, you know, Instagram account. Uh, so. Second Timothy four three and four says for the for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. Hmm. Now you tell me that that does not accurately describe a, a pretty large part of what the world might think and see as American Christianity today. That sounds pretty familiar. Gotta say. Yeah, right? Um, and so with that said, um, knowing how popular those things are, and I mean, it, it infiltrates our worship music. I know that's a conversation you and I had um, yeah. quite well, a while I ago. That, I meant to bring that up tonight, but go on. Well, yeah, just, um, you know, uh, and this is something that Sarah and I um, have had a lot of conversations about, 
years ago um, when we were at Christ Chapel, actually. And that's when you and I kind of got on the topic and talked together. But um, recognizing that um, some of her students would actually, you know, they'd, hey, that was a great song we sang, so I'm going to add it to my Spotify playlist. And then, um, you know, uh, soon after, Sarah would have a girl asking a question, hey, I saw this sermon by X person at this church out in uh, California. Um, and it was really, it was really cool cause it talked about, um, like prophetic teachings and all this stuff. And it was, well, red flag. Whoop. Um, <laughs> and so that was the first th- time that Sarah and I were like, I think it's dangerous that, that we just kind of flippantly utilize some of these things. Um, you know, apart from, you know, utilize them financially benefiting the ministries are coming from, but, um, young impressionable minds and souls are, uh, being exposed to dangerous evil, yeah, and not just and not um, just earthly years young, but in in their spiritual growth, you know. So yeah, you know, yeah, so like people a, who you know, fifty year old who came to faith last year, you know. Exactly, absolutely. Um, yeah. So you know, I, I think that that's um, one of the things I love that um, John Piper kind of talks. He did a little um, uh, a little. I think it was on an Ask John Piper thing under on the Desiring God Ministries, and he talks about. There's five factors to discern um, for calling out false teaching, false teachers, um, and just really like utilizing this as kind of your barometer of, hey, do I feel like I have the the authority to speak to this? Um, mm-hmm. You know, one's the seriousness and the deceitfulness of the error being made. Two is the size of the audience. So is this growing or the, is there proof that people are buying into this false teaching? Um, the duration of their ministry, you know, is this just the first blunder that they've made or is this a repeated pattern in their ministry? Uh, the vulnerability of the people for whom you are responsible um, and then just the role you have in influencing your shepherds around you who need to be discerning for who those false teachers are. Um, and, you know, in that case, like, you know, Sarah working with the youth group there, I uh, think that there's a lot of responsibility to you know, teach, um, not just... And, you know, I think I think it's easy to just, you know, eh, that's false. But I, I think that it's, Mike Winger talks about this. It's very important not to just say something's false and move on, but, like, explain what the issue is. Go to the Bible and go to Scripture and say, hey, this is why this doesn't match up. This is why this doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and be able to explain that. Um, yeah. Because, you know, we can – we I can, you know, call anything false. I can say, oh, Andrew said this. It's completely wrong. Um, but, again, Scripture calls us to, to – test everything and test the spirits against scripture so ultimately that should always be what we go back to um absolutely absolutely you know one thing that um i i i need to say thank you for this also um you know we started talking about specifically about worship songs uh you know a couple years ago maybe three years ago i think it was like early 2020 Mm -hmm. or early 2021 um you know that was about the time that I officially came on staff at City Church as our as our worship uh, director, and uh, it's the first time I'd ever been in such a role. And one of the things I really appreciated about taking on that role um, was that uh, the elders who who brought me on, who hired me, like they said, "Hey, we want this. We we trust your prayerful, considerate leadership. You know, we're not going to tell you what songs to play or not to play. We're not going to mm-hmm. say." this genre or that genre or whatever like we just want you to be prayerful in your consideration you know uh and mm-hmm. and obviously try to pick songs that are complementary to what we're teaching and stuff you know but we trust 
we like what we've seen in you to this point and we want to continue to foster that within you and i felt so empowered and and right about one or two months into that um uh you posted something i think it was on your instagram page it was a preacher somewhere in texas who posted a really compelling who posted a really compelling sermon uh about here's why you shouldn't play songs uh, from like Hillsong or or uh, Elevation or Bethel, you know, for example, yeah. and there's several others that he mentioned. Uh, and here's why, you know, like I want you, I want you to know why our church will no longer be, you can look the sermon up on YouTube, I think. You, here's why our church will no longer be leading uh, worship songs from these specific bands. Um, and the thing I liked about it is that I had felt... You know, call it the Holy Spirit, call it intuition, whatever. You know, I'm not so sure. But, like, within me, there was this gut feeling that, like, I I had issues with some of those groups uh, and with some of these songs, and I just couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I knew those groups primarily to be very heavy on prosperity gospel teachings. Um, you know, and, and I watched that sermon with my wife and I sent it along to the elders and I said, Hey guys, I want you to know, like I'm considering making this change in our church as well. And I think I communicated the same to you. Um, just as a, let you know, I had watched it, you know, sure. And, um, and, uh, after two, three, four weeks of like prayerful consideration and like really studying like the things that are being put out by those churches, and reading some background information and listening to other podcasts about things and like just really gathering a multitude of sources and opinions and again prayerful consideration i we had a um about once a quarter our church will do like an all members meeting after church you know just to talk you know what we call family business you know and uh if we want to give like updates, you know, about our area of ministry, you know, staff members can speak in front of the whole church, you know, briefly and say, Hey, here's what, why, what we're doing and here's why we're doing it and yada, yada, yada. And it's just a nice way to stay connected as a group and unified in vision and stuff. And I was given the opportunity to share for about, you know, 10 minutes, um, about, Hey, starting next Sunday, we're no longer going to be singing songs from <coughs> these, these churches. And here's why. And I said, yeah, Reason number one is I find these churches to be very heavy in intentional, heavily and intentionally teaching false theology. Um, I think you can make a strong case that these churches are knowingly leading people astray from what the truth of the gospel is for the sake of building up the size of their church um, and for the purpose of lining pocketbooks. Um, You know, I'm not saying like to write an effective worship song, you have to be a perfect person because nobody is. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a single song other than anything that Jesus himself had uttered. Uh, You know, what I am saying is that there is a knowing, knowing deception going on. Yeah. You know, and so I willful willful deception, willful deception. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, like what Sarah's student might have said in the past, you know, hey, I didn't want someone who's come to the church t- to see, oh, well, I'm playing song XYZ from Prosperity Gospel Band XYZ, and then adding them to their Spotify playlist, and they're able to worship through it, which, hey, that's great. Like, I don't have any doubt that some of these songs, in and of their own, contained three-minute, five-minute, you know, nine-minute, whatever version you're listening to, like, this has got good theology, right? 
I think broken people can write beautiful songs that can lead us to worship. Yeah. That's that's not my problem. My problem is that to what end are they creating? You know, and so like I didn't want someone in my church coming up and saying. Uh, Hey, I saw you play this song from this band over and over and over and over and over. And their their preacher teaches this idea that, uh, you know, if you are truly a believer in God, that he's going to make you rich and he's going to make you healthy and you're going to live 150 years, you know, and right. blah, 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 blah. Uh, obviously, we don't teach those things, you know, because they're not true, <laughs> you know, yep. uh, and praise God that my, my pastors don't teach those, you know, they're faithful to the scriptures. And so... Um, you know, and then there's the other weird thing, too, of, of the whole uh, American government required royalties system. You know, mm-hmm. every time your church plays one of their songs, a portion of your tithes and offerings from your church goes to the church that wrote the song. You know, and a lot of people don't realize that. And when I said that, like, yep. I had, like, probably 10 or 15 people in the two weeks after this meeting come up to me and say, hey, I didn't realize that royalties, like, work that way. You know, um, and I said, yeah, it's the same way, too, if you listen on Spotify. You know, they're getting half a cent a play every time you play one of their songs. Um, you know, and so. Did they uh, did they try to convict you to write some bangers so that yes. you guys can start getting some royalties? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, not for royalties. No, not at all. But, but yes, yes to write, you know. And, and that was the yeah. thing, too, is like it really, you know. At that point in my, my career, like, I had been a, a songwriter for a number of years. I've been writing music since, you know, since college, as you know. And, yep. Yep. Um, and I, I was convicted. I said, you know, if I'm going to pull all these songs out, and at the time it was like 50%, 60% of our song catalog, you know, like of all the songs like we had built up through the f- several years of doing City Church music, like it was a huge hole that it pulled out. And I was like, you know what, we're going to immediately start going through – and finding other bands from churches that teach right theology. We're going to find some hymns. We're going to find the hymns that teach beautiful language, yep. but also theological truth. Because there are some hymns out there that teach some kind of weird things, you know, or, or maybe yeah. unclear things. You know, I'm not saying all the hymns are good. Uh, don't hear me say that. But it, it also inspired me to write songs, you know. Uh, and I, and I've, I'm thrilled to say, like, I, our church has written, uh, I've written three or four songs now for our church. And uh, it's awesome. You know, it's just it's just something that, you know, not for my glory, and I'm not making any money off at all. I don't think I've even registered it with royalties, but, like, I know I haven't. <laughs> but, like, it's it's – it all started because you had the brave the, – the boldness to post on your Instagram page that, hey, these churches teach false theology. They intentionally lead people astray. Let's stop supporting them with our tithes and our offerings and with our encouragement and our adulation and all these things. And yeah, man. uh, Well, and I think, thank you for that. Yeah, of course. And I, I'm, you know, I was so encouraged whenever you and I kind of had a follow up conversation about that. Just, um, you know, a lot of admiration for you and, uh, and, and really any, any, um, you know, worship pastors, just cause it's, a lot of those um, ministries throw out the worship easy button um, Mm -hmm. because they're catchy tunes and yeah. a lot of them, you know, like we've talked about, like maybe inherently there's nothing wrong with them, but um, it's what it leads right. back to that obviously is the concern. I think you you made a great point. Um, so uh, in Titus 1, this is something I've, I've heard Vody Bauckham teach on, but, um, you know, uh, so Titus 1, uh, verse 10 and 11, it says, There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. 
Um, and I think what you, you know, you talked about that where the the um, the willful um, deception uh, for for selfish profitable gains um, yeah. as a reason some of these things are being taught. And yeah. you know, and I think it kind of goes back to you know that verse in Second Timothy four where it just talks about like you know that's what people want to hear. There's a reason those churches are gigantic. Um, and have massive, massive memberships um, and are making buku dollars um, teaching falsehoods uh, because it's what people want to hear. Um, yeah. It's easy and to that's hear. That's not to say that all big churches are doing that, but these ones. In no, of course not. Of course yeah. not. Yeah. Um, it, it is a very specific um, number. Um, but um, John MacArthur wrote a book. But any, I, I, I feel like. It's probably clear now that as I've gotten older, the more the, I think the older I get, the more reformed with my theology I get. Um, but uh, uh, Pastor J. Mack wrote a book called Hard to Believe, um, and it, it just basically talks about like if you really look at the truth of of the gospel, and if you really look at the the truth of the Bible, it is hard to believe. It is not easy um, to believe. There, there now you know that kind of sounds counterintuitive, but. If you look at the the incredible work that God did um, from a human experience standpoint, it is hard to believe. Um, and so, you know, I think that you know the churches that are are have grown in numbers um, because they are faithfully preaching the gospel is so encouraging. Um, you know, we even in the short year and a half we've been at LifePoint up here in Norfolk, Nebraska. I mean, we've seen. The church grow to the point where you know we tested out a second service uh, or an evening service on Sundays yeah. for a little bit, just in you know, running out Nebraska. of space in the in, in well in Norfolk, but yes, in the area. We've got people that drive from all over the place, so <laughs> it's great, man. I mean, it's Massive beautiful. Norfolk, it is Nebraska. Yes, the thriving metropolis of about twenty five thousand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dude, it, it's yeah, it is so encouraging cool. to me to see churches that 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 say, you know what. It might be very easy and and profitable to teach something different, but this is my conviction. This is what mm. is true, and I will not waver from that. Um, I just have so much respect and admiration for pastors and elders and, and church leaders who um, hold fast to those convictions. Uh, and man, the reward in heaven will be um, tenfold for those. But you know, the the flip side of that's true, right? That the the judgment will be very harsh. Um, for those that uh, were wolves in sheep clothing and, and leading the flock astray. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, have you ever, um, what was I going to say, have you ever, I know you've heard this song, but let me refresh your memory, uh, Wedding Dress by <coughs> Derek Webb. Oh, dude, yeah. It's the it's the song that my uh, very novice self keeps trying to uh, perfect on my uh my uh, Taylor 210 that I have. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, he's got a nice little simple but nice little intro lick on so that good. song. You know, I don't yeah. love a lot of the things that Derek Webb has written or sung. You know, again, uh, he's, he's not really my flavor, and I'm not sure. I don't know all that well about him. I bet there would be people who listen to this who think, like, now I'm a horrible Yeah, I was about to speak up about him. You know, <laughs> no. but he, yeah. he had the song Wedding Dress, man. He nailed this issue. You know, he has this one line in that song where he says, uh, you know, money cannot buy a husband's jealous eye when you have knowingly deceived his wife. Yep. You know, and he's talking about false teachers, uh, you know, deceiving the flock for financial gain. Um, yep. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I have lots of thoughts about yeah, this. Yeah, man, so it's, really for this podcast, it's hard it, to – so this is – well, it's a perfect example, right? So um, I've I've loved that song forever, um, and it's been really sad to see 
kind of where the author has um, gotten to today, just deconstructing whatever that means. Um, And, I mean, there's some recent news that came out that's just tragic. But, uh, it, you know, that song, just the beauty of it. That's yeah. fine. You probably don't need to, but um, yeah, okay. yeah, dude, yeah. It, that that line, that, that line itself, it, I've always just thought that that song is it's very raw and real, um, mm-hmm. and, and paints just a beautiful picture of of um, our salvation. It's you know um, that where even the chorus it says, "I am a whore. I do confess, but I put Christ on like a wedding dress." And I run down the aisle because it, it, through his blood, I'm made perfect in God's eyes. Um, yeah, I've always loved the – I think there's a lot of power in, in that message, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's sad to hear. I don't know. Like I said, I haven't kept up with the guy. But I I have heard through the grapevine or I've heard other people speak that, you know, there's some wandering from the truth in his life. And I'm well, sad to hear that. Um, it, but what a – I mean, isn't that a perfect example that we ought not to make idols out of people? Um, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. even even some of these, uh, you know, incredible teachers, like, I love listening to, um, you know, of to Vody Bauckham and to Paul Washer and to Steve Lawson and Alistair Begg and a lot of these guys, but you can't, you don't make an idol out of, of those people because at the end of the day, they're humans. Yeah, and they're, um, they're, they're yeah. imperfect, they're sinful, they're flawed. Um, and thanks be to God that he continues to use them um, to to expand his kingdom through their teaching. Um, but the that's just, man, uh, I don't know if you watched um, that documentary, American Gospel. Um, uh, but there's a, a second one that came out uh, about just kind of the rise and fall of Hillsong. Um, and it's just, that's another example of why you don't make an idol out of a, an organization. Well, you don't make an idol of anything, but especially something that's designed and built and made up of human beings. Um, because that is a a potential that can happen. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I know that it's a work night for you and so I don't want to keep you up too late, but I, I have to ask how, do you see, uh, you know, your your calling? Let's call it a calling, because I see this over and over in a pattern in your life. Um, you know, the Lord has called you to be a, a protector, a shepherd type of person. You know, I think in in the family of God. Um, where do you? I, first of all, do you agree with that? But secondly, if you agree with that, and I assume you will, uh, how does that play out in your marriage uh, with Sarah? You know, she's she's such a smart, headstrong, <clears throat> gospel centered, you know, Christian woman herself. Um, yeah, well, a wonderful person. You know, all the experience of uh, all the conversations I've ever had with her. How how does that work out in your marriage? Well, uh, so the, I'll give you a quick story. So when I first brought her um, to meet my dad, um, he came down to uh, down to Texas, and they got to meet. And after that weekend, um, you know, uh, there, and a lot of backstory. Like had a really difficult end of a previous relationship, and some stuff that happened there just kind of felt like. You know, I always told myself, I'm at my next relationship, I'm going to date for at least a year. We're going to be engaged for at least a year, and then I'll really know. Um, and Sarah and I dated for uh, four months. We were engaged for five, and now we've been married since 2019. Yeah. Um, so it's a very um, cold wedding day. I remember. <laughs> yeah, but dad, yeah, it was the coldest, and I loved it. Um, dad said he he looked me straight in the face and he put his finger on my chest and said, "Son." That woman is an angel sent from the Lord designed specifically for you, so don't screw it up. Um, (laughs) And I've I've continued to try not to. Um, Man, I'll say this. Um, 
leading your family is very easy when your um, spouse is in agreement with that plan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, she leads me in in praying for me and supporting me and understanding uh, when I have to work late to you know provide for family and. Um, I, I don't know, man. It's just I, I think getting married a little bit older it was definitely beneficial for both of us. Um, you know, a lot of times pe- I've I've read stuff that says, "Oh, getting married older is hard because you both have all this baggage." It's like, yeah, we do have you know stuff that we've gone through, but we also understand what's worth actually arguing and fighting about and what's not. Hmm. Um, and to that point, we have not had a single argument in our marriage. We've had some disagreements. We've had some tough conversations about miscommunication. Um, but we really communicate well. So, um, I mean, really, I, I feel like I, um, you know, as, as Christian men, we're, we're, we're called to, to build up our wives and present them holy and blameless uh, before the Lord. And so I want to do everything I can to foster Sarah's opportunity to, to walk with the Lord and to be in right relationship with God and to raise our kids um, to know and fear the Lord. Uh, you know, what that looks like is just me trying to communicate well. I think that, um, you know, both of my parents, we, we, you know, as we've gotten older, kind of talked about this a little bit, but they both kind of said that the, the one big thing that was probably the downfall of their relationship was just not communicating well. Um, so that's something that I have, you know, Sarah and I both have really placed in a high priority with each other, aside from, you know, praying for one another, praying with each other, um, you know, having fun conversations about uh, this uh, mortification of spin uh, episode that I heard this really good theology or uh, this other podcast or listen to cultish together, some different, you know, just a lot of fun, like theology-based, Christian-based stuff that we have in constant conversation about is just to communicate well. Um, to be open when, if there's frustration, um, to be open if, hey, what you said, I know you didn't mean it, but it actually hurt my feelings and stuff like that, and not to have walls up and not to be defensive, but just to be able to receive those things. Um, so, yeah, man, like, you know, I think from that point, it's also a little bit easier to be a sheepdog when your wife knows the Bible as much or more than you do. Um, <laughs> and she's very, yeah, very – Oh my gosh, she's an incredible teacher too. Like I love, she's recently gotten a chance to get involved with um, the the high school girls um, with her um, uh, small but definitely growing rapidly uh, youth group at church, and I, it's just so cool to see her build those relationships and speak life into those girls. And um, she just has so much incredible wisdom to share uh, that I would be selfish if I didn't, you know, want her to have the opportunity to share that with other people. Um, so yeah, man, honestly, like, I don't know. I, I just, you know, talk and I know everyone's got different marriage stories, but dude, marriage has been like the easiest thing in my life the last five years. Wow. Um, and, and, and I, that's not just like, you know, paying lip service to my wife. Like, honestly, it's true. Um, mm-hmm. being married is way easier than being single was. Um, and I just think that that speaks to, you know, I'm not sure I make it easy, um, even though she would say that I do, but I, I, I definitely know that um, I'm, I'm very thankful for um, just a, an extraordinary godly woman. I mean, dude, I, I, I'm so thankful for her parents, uh, for Don and Linda, for just raising an incredible woman. Um, and uh, it's it's a joy to uh, to get to do life with her. And um, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, that role, what's that look like? Um, you know, it, it's, 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 it looks like me encouraging her to be able to find those avenues to, 
to share her faith, to grow in her faith, to um, you know get to live life and, and pursue those passions like um, uh, doing the the girls' high school ministry and things like that. Um, and then obviously, you know, I'm 37 and my uh, my youngest or my I guess my only kid right now uh, turns one next week. Um, mm. So actually on Sunday. Um, so waited a little awesome. bit longer to uh, to get rocking and rolling with the, the family thing. But um, God's timing is always perfect. And honestly, you know, I think about how I, I personally feel like I would have been a really miserably bad father and husband if I would have done this in my 20s. Um, so I'm thankful for God giving me time to mature since I'm a little bit slow uh, to do so apparently. Um, and, uh, you know, not that I do it again, it, that's the beauty of it, right? Is, is, is I don't do it perfectly. And there are times where, um, you know, I, I use harsh language, not towards her, but in a situation around her and, uh, feel conviction of that, but she's very graceful towards me. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just, it's, it's, I don't know. I think I'm a little spoiled to be frank, but, um, <laughs> it's very easy to, it's very easy to lead, um, when you both have a, a, a an agreement on your roles in the relationship and, and, you know, the different things that, uh, that you want to accomplish together. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, those are important things to talk about for any single guys listening to this. I mean, those are deep conversations to have with someone that you're considering, you know, a marriage relationship with is, is being pretty simpatico with, Hey, this is my ideas of, of a role in, in, in a marriage setting. And, um, I don't know, man, I think that there's a lot of value in those traditional roles that the Bible's called us to do. And I think that maybe that's why it's so easy is because I think we're, the way it's playing out is the way that, that I would say the Lord intended it to. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, praise God for, for the woman that you've married, uh, and for the impact that she's had in your life. Um, that's awesome, man. That's yeah. awesome. Um, I want to bring this conversation to a close by asking you a few fun questions. Um, first right. off, uh, what is a, what is a book other than the Bible that has significantly impacted, uh, your spiritual life, your theology? So I had to think long and hard about this because as I said earlier, I've been in a, a reading drought, um, as of the last couple of years. But, um, I also, as I thought through this, I really had a tough time picking one, um, but I also recognize that, like, the majority of my list is uh, uh, deceased, reformed uh, uh, theologians that go by their first two initials. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, I mentioned Mortification of Sin by John Owens, but um, Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul um, is another one that I I really feel like it was formative for me, especially in high school and college. It's a book that you know that that Sproul just really spends the entire book focusing on the that attribute of God, which is most important of utmost importance. It's His holiness, because if we truly, if we truly understand what God's holiness means, it really changes the way that we view our own sin and the way that we view our own perspective and the way that we view His sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, that one was a really big one. I, Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, all those were huge. Um, I'm and then the, the other thing. one, I, I'm telling you, I was I had a nice little laugh when I read you that. Just, uh, Desiring God G- by what's you that? Just need, you just need G.K. <laughs> yep, exactly. G.K. Chesterton be another one. Uh, and Desiring God by John Piper, I think, was one that I read. Um, 
in uh, early in college that was um, really transformative for me too. Yeah, yeah. I actually I just had a conversation with the guys in my small group last week about a John Piper book called "Don't Waste Your Life." Um, yep. So many books of his are fantastic. You can't go wrong with a Piper book. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. Um, next question: um, What is this? Is a much lighter question here. What is a controversial opinion you may have about a certain food dish? I've got a friend. If you listen to the second episode in this whole podcast series, uh, my friend Jeff Jameson, he despises chocolate, which is just a sure sign of the fall uh, on Earth. Um, <laughs> wondering, wondering if you have any sort of opinions about any sort of thing like that. Yeah. Because um, everybody well, does. I kind of wish I didn't like food as much as I do, um, <laughs> but unfortunately I do. Uh, you know um, – I was actually joking with Sarah. I was like, I think I'm going to go on there and say that, that veganism and vegetarianism is sinful. Um, okay. But obviously I don't think it's sinful. Uh, I do think it's wrong, but I don't think it's sinful. Okay. Um, so being a man who is the captain of outdoor cooking, right? I love to man the grill. I love yeah. to smoke meats. I've kind of got my brisket down to almost perfection. Need to man, get awesome. you know the. I need to get a better knife to get a better carve on it. But other than that, I'm feeling pretty good about it on my pit boss. Okay. Um, so love outdoor cooking. However, the proper way to cook a steak is on a cast iron skillet in the kitchen, basting it with butter, garlic, and yes. thyme. Yes, and yeah, it's I oh, yeah. honestly, dude. Like I used to when we were dating, uh, Sarah and I were dating. I grilled out quite a bit, and the first time she ever made a steak for me. I think I was working late, so she went ahead and made it. And I was like, I don't think I can ever grill a steak again. Like, I think it's actually wrong to take a a really prime choice, like, porterhouse T-bone steak and just destroy it on a grill when you could love <laughs> it well by putting it on uh, the cast iron. So, yes. yeah, that's my uh, – as a, as a man that loves outdoor cooking, that would be my uh, maybe somewhat controversial. Although, oh, yeah. if anyone's ever had a steak cooked that way, it's not controversial. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, everyone's skeptical till they try it. I think it qualifies for, no. for the purposes of this conversation. People are skeptical till they try it, you know, because no. you always see, you see the grill marks on the steak. That's like the, the traditional look of a steak. But then, like, I remember making uh, a steak at home like that once in an iron skillet in the oven, you know, in a skillet and then finishing the oven. And, like, I, I think it was Alton Brown recipe online. And, dude, it was killer. Like, I made it for, for my wife, and she was like, don't ever make it any other way. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yep. Wow. All that's right. the right answer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. One last question. And I didn't prep you for this because I want you to answer it off the cuff for me. I'm going to put you into okay. a, I'm going to put you into a fight to the death barehanded. Uh, if you win, you'll receive great, great fame and fortune. Um, you, the only catch here is that you have to pick your opponent. Would you rather, uh, and, and for the purposes of this question, pretend that this battle will take place uh, roughly in the size and in, in an enclosed space, roughly the size of a football field. Um, would you rather fight uh, 100 horse-sized ducks or a single duck? Wait, no, no, I got it backwards. 100. Would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses? Or a single horse-sized duck. Man. So, I think that question ultimately comes down to what is your strong suit? Is it cardio or is it brute man strength? 
<laughs> and anyone who knows me knows that cardio is not my specialty. It's brute man strength. So okay. that said, I feel like I would have a better chance of um, slaying the uh, the horse-sized duck because mm-hmm. um, I was – if you're thinking through like uh, – like back in the day when like the OC Supertones and like those Christian ska <laughs> bands were real big and you like do the little ska dance, that takes a lot of cardio, like the kicking motion. And and here's the other thing too. Supertone. You can you can kick a duck-sized horse as hard as you want, but is it going to – if you just kick it once, is it just stopped? You got to kill it, right? So you're going to yeah. have to probably kick them multiple times and like break a neck or something. So 100. I mean that's a lot. And it's a lot. And one kick is not going to kill each one of those things. So you're probably going to – we're talking like at least three or 400 kicks by the end of this thing. So mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. if you're a marathon runner and you've done the Ironman thing, that might be your choice. I'm going to put, uh, I'm gonna put that, that uh, horse-sized duck in a sleeper hold and then just give it a little <laughs> We'll be good. <laughs> I'm cracking up at the imagery. <laughs> uh, please don't call us PETA. <laughs> don't report us to PETA. Just well, so. look, uh, we can, and I would love to have a very open discussion with our friends at PETA about veganism and vegetarianism. So feel free to give me coffee if you want to. <laughs> can, we, can we talk in, in horse sized ducks? <laughs> yes, and obviously I want to talk about horse sized ducks too. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. Well, Justin, brother, thank you so much, man. This has been a long time coming, and I'm so grateful that you'd spend so much time with me again on a work night. Uh, thank you also to Sarah, to your kiddos, for your, to your son, and to your soon to be second coming along thank you for for the sacrifice man it really means a lot and love you man hey stay here uh, on the line with me uh, for just a minute i want to make sure that uh, your audio gets uploaded okay. okay you've been listening to the defiant dad podcast my name is andrew sullivan hey if you want to catch the show notes uh, be sure to check out the website defiantdad.com slash zero one five that is defiantdad.com slash zero one five and if you haven't already don't forget to subscribe and if uh, you like the show Please, uh, I would love it so much if you'd share with a friend and uh, consider leaving me a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. It's a really easy way to help boost the visibility of the show with uh, all the fancy algorithms out there so that uh, more dads like you and I can hear the truly life-changing message of the gospel. And of course, if you're on Instagram, I would really be honored there to have your follow. Uh, I post uh, clips and uh, stylized quotes uh, from the episode to help build you up during the week. The name there, of course, on Instagram is The Defiant Dad, all one word, The Defiant Dad. And of course, finally, this is The Defiant Dad Podcast. My name is Andrew Sullivan, and I will catch you next Monday. Thank you so much for listening.